Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grid, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. episode 29 of season one i'm gonzo with me tonight is justin lee and isaac Gian jr boys we are going to wrap up the off the uh, 2023 season tonight uh, i'm going to talk some postseason and our mlb all-time series but uh let's first begin off with the first move of the offseason being letting go the bullpen coach, Kurt Hassler, and our first base coach. So Darryl Kurt was not Boston. let go. Let's make that clear. Kurt was reassigned. So he's still in the organization, which is great. Uh, great guy. Great baseball guy. They did let go of Daryl Boston. I think he had been with the organization 25 years. Um, but he got let go. So wow, the bench coach, the, the first base coach. And the bullpen coach. Got it's like, gonna be it's gonna be weird not seeing Debo at first he, base. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna throw this one out there. White Sox fans are not gonna be uh, like this uh, this comment. I think Debo and and Hassler were uh, were faces that they were used to in the in the clubhouse. I think Debo had a great relationship with the players that are still there. Um, so it would it, it, I, I, they better hope that there's more connections in those newer coaches. Because someone that definitely was connected to the players on both Hassler and Debo obviously are now on their way out. They also got fired of the coach Juan Castro, um, the hitting coach. He also got let go. Um, and the assistant coach that I don't think I even knew his name, um, but he was there. He both he he got axed as well. Uh, but yeah, changes uh, again, no major changes in positions that fans want. But a couple guys, I think, other than. Then what? Then the hitting coach. You got rid of two positions that are like you know. You just wanted to change the faces because I, the impact level of those coaches on a day to day basis. Uh, I'm losing 101 games. It's uh, it's kind of putting like lipstick on a pig. Wow. Were you, were you surprised? Or did you just though? call my fucking team Miss Piggy? No, actually, that was a quote used a long time ago by Oni Gian. You can't put lipstick on a pig because it's still a pig, and he got in trouble for that one. But I just. I just thought about it. Bro, they lost 101 games. You know, you hear Pedro's comments. I think it was with CGO, CHGO, the, the, the interview there. I think it was with Fagan. And he basically said that they didn't win because they were hurt. He basically said that they were doing all the right things. That He basically said that they did not lose 101 games, that they weren't bad, that they just had a bad first month of the season and didn't get healthy after that. If you lost 101 games, dude, you're delusional. 
There's only 22 games in, in one month. You lost 101. So, so how many first months is, did you have? So maybe his month is off. But, again, I, I wasn't surprised with the coaches being let go. Again, you got a, a regime change in, in, in Chris Getz and Barfield coming in and Bannister uh, coming in. I'm surprised there hasn't been more coaches changes because if I was – well, I know why there wasn't any more coaches changes because my theory Junior. stands that Chris Getz – got his guys in there before he took over is my theory. I think that he had something to do with pushing those guys' names to like the popularity of them becoming the new leaders. Wait, you said who was the, I think Chris, I'm, I'm going to tell you guys my theory. Pedro Grafal yeah. might be a really bad manager. I'm talking about pre getting hired for like, if we win, we, we, we just struck gold and we look like geniuses. We brought this rando guy. And if he wins a division and he does better than Tony, we we'll look like we're the smartest people in baseball. And if we failed, they believe that he was a young enough manager that he would develop these players in a semi-what rebuild. So now he's a manager the number one, did not cost him a lot of money. Is probably working very closely with them because he has no opinion of his own because he's never been in the big leagues for a very long time in that position of, of making that type of money. He's only been a bench coach for one year. Before that, he was getting like probably making less than a hundred grand. Now I'm talking like inside information. I know what coaches make, not a lot of money. He's his first year probably making somewhat money. You're the bench coach with, with Kansas City, not great. This is the first year he's really making like, oh, like real FU money in baseball. So he'll be easier to deal with than dealing with like a Bruce Bochy where Bochy does not need to work anymore and it's Bochy's way or no way. So right. I, they thought about that going in of like, if it doesn't work, we have our guy for the rebuild. But I think Pedro underperformed so bad. I think Pedro shocked everyone in baseball how bad he managed this year and how bad this team turned out. Because even us, just from what we had heard, like this guy won't be worse than 500. I was like, worst case scenario, the season is repeated 81 and 81. People are going to be mad because there's a repeat of Tony. I did not think they were going to lose 101 games. That's like you completely missed the mark. You weren't even close. Like we 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 had an inclination like this season was gonna be sour about you know middle May leading into June. We never even discussed the potential of losing a hundred games. No, never. I thought I thought eighty one and eighty one, even with the injuries, just because I saw Tony La Russa win ninety plus games with a with a C squad, and then I saw them last year not have a manager, Tony not being his best having injuries, just battling it out, getting woke by better teams on moments that they could have flourished. And that team won 81 games. And they didn't have a Pantera on their team. Yeah. Still, they had C's, but I was like, well, you had an MVP caliber player. And I think Grandal was better this year than he was the year where they won the 81 games. So I never thought that it was going to go 81 and 81. I, I really did not think that. I thought it was going to be like 81, 81. I'm not thinking they're going to lose 101 games. But the new coaching changes – I'm going to wait before I judge on, on saying if they were bad or good. Their changes, the hitting coach position, if it goes to uh, to Tozart, the guy right now who's uh, the uh, fielding coordinator and he's uh, quality control, I guess they call him, he's a hitting guy by trade, and he was a hitting guy in Kansas City. And if you guys Google his name, he was deemed a baseball hitting genius and guru because when he originally got hired, everybody thought that he was going to be the hitting coach. And I'm talking about articles by The Athletic, you know, a, a different, a, a couple outlets. So if they hire, if they fired a hitting coach, 
to bring a guy who's already in the staff to work as a hitting coach, I'm going to be like, that's a, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Especially getting rid of Frank Minichino, who, when he was in office, the White Sox were a top three hitting team in the league. Correct. And who was the guy before Frank Minichino? He's that guy's the Todd yeah. Stevenson. He's amazing right now. He's the best hitting coach in the past 10 years. He had TA rolling. So again, you get to see Gerald Boston go. I know we, we, we know the guy, Kurt, we know the guy. Um, but it's change and, and people and fans want change and you can't critique it because if you do the same thing next year, you're going to say, well, if you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same results. But that means you can't stop. You can't stop with them. You got to keep cleaning house at all levels of the team, uh, not just coaches, not just roster, potentially the manager. Uh, and, and again, you, we might see more changes, but Chris gets has time to make changes. I'm sure that he doesn't have to fire everybody. His his window's a little bit longer than most general managers in the first year. I just uh, to me, it just sends mixed messages because if you said that, we all know that next year's going to be a rebuild. But obviously, whoa, whoa, Jerry, you can't say that, Gonzo, Gonzo, you cannot <laughs> say that. That it's uh, Dustin. Why is this guy using that word rebuild? The team has not said that it's a rebuild. Get with the program. I know the team hasn't said it, but it doesn't matter if they don't say. If Pedro Grafal does not tell you that it's not a rebuild, then it's not a rebuild. Not a rebuild. <laughs> but even if this is not a rebuild, why would you allow Pedro Grafal to go forward if he hasn't showed you any improvement in his first season? And make he's it a great interviewer because he's, he's the greatest interview that I've ever had. That's that, that they were so blown away. Because they still believe in the guy. Prepare every night to kick your ass. He's prepared to kick your ass. He was the most prepared guy. They've been preparing. Um, in the interview, he said that he couldn't share that players were hurt because he didn't want to give them the other team an advantage. Um, uh, an edge was the word used. When you're getting your ass kicked that bad, you don't need an edge. When you lose 101 games, other teams are not saying, "Oh, there's an edge." Uh, the Baltimore Orioles were trying not to give an edge. The Atlanta Braves were trying not to give an edge. You're just going out there, Pedro, to survive. When you lose 101 games. So I completely understand what you're saying, Gonzo. I just think that if you leave, if 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 Chris Getz knows, if there's even a 5% chance that this guy is not your guy in the long run, why waste time in keeping him around and building this culture? That's just my belief. And especially, especially you just hired the the fill of the future, aka Chris Getz. He's gonna accelerate. I'm saying, though, even if you don't – here's a funny part of how, how I would play it, with coaches especially. I, w- I would bring in coaches that I might think internally might be a good fit, a guy that I'm like, okay, this guy's interesting. But if I think Charlie Montoyo has any manager goal, like anything to do, anything left in him, I'd put him as a manager for the remaining year of his contract or two and then see how he does with this team and then go out the line. The part that's interesting, I'm going to bring this out, and most people are going to say, oh, you're going to say your father because – Let's take Ozzy completely out of the conversation because I don't think Ozzy depends on – Ozzy needs a very long contract if it's going to be a rebuild. But there's a manager out there today that I don't think that he's a great manager for I need to win right now because he's never won it and he's never been like in the big game. But he has built multiple organizations to take him to the point where they're going to be a World Series team and a World Series winner. He's a fluffer of all managers in baseball. He's he's really good at what he does. He has built shit shit disasters literally to greatness again. 
New York Diamondbacks, New York Yankees. He just got let go, just stepped away. His name is Buck Showalter. Okay. So when you've seen guys that have done that have you know fixed these disasters before, you have to really say, okay, there's all these great managers out there. Is this really the guy? Because here's the thing: you don't want Pedro to be the guy for three years and then let him go and bring in another guy. It's crazy. This is the fourth, third manager, I would say. So, Pente, with the with the the core of your team there, so it's like keeping the classroom the same while just recycling. Right, but even if they bring the new core, so I'm talking about in spring training. He's this is what we understand. Not just the big league team. He's still the major league manager when he's talking to Montgomery and he's talking to this guy and he's talking to that guy. He is the guy that's building the culture. He is a guy that's bringing all these guys through. So the big league manager, it's not so much in baseball of access in like in other sports of like what play am I going to call like in football, but it's about like the attitude and the atmosphere and the respect that you bring to the organization. You're the guy that's saying, Hey, we're going to do this in the minor leagues. You're the one talking to Chris gets and saying, Hey, we should implement this in the minor leagues. I want all my guys. I'll give you an example. Ozzy Guillen had a really hard time because when he got to the white Sox, no one would move the runner over or bunt anyone over or basically make a productive out if you were hitting in the three, four, and five spot, okay? So guys like Brian Anderson were having a hard time when they were getting called up to spring training games, and his whole philosophy was, why does somebody that's going to hit three and four and five for us in AAA not know how to do this? When they come to the big leagues, they're hitting ninth. Yeah. They're not hitting three, four, and five. So I need you guys to develop baseball players. So that's when the philosophy started of like, we're going to develop better players. The, the whole bullpen situation of, I'm not trying to find the next ace, but anybody that I bring up need literally needs to come and throw strikes at least. A starter that can at least go four or five innings and not be praying that the guy doesn't get shelled after the first inning. So it's like, we're above replacements. Like that, again, Ozzy doesn't know and use that word, like in the theory of they weren't using analytics, but when they were talking among the coaches, the word for analytics is, they were just doing wins above replacement. What the Twins used to do really good. What the St. Louis Cardinals at the time did really good. Hey, if we plug a guy out, a superstar goes down. Can we get a guy to at least just maintain the water there? And that's a development that happens at the organizational level. And that happens with big league manager, big league staff, everyone there in spring training. So, Gonzo, you got a point. If this is not their solution for the long term, I don't see why the reason they should keep him around. Um, Chris Getz. If you're in the game of baseball, you should have a list of guys that you want your future manager to be, your future pitching coaches. I have a list somewhere in a notebook. If I was to get hired tomorrow, who are my first four hires in baseball? Okay? Everybody who's obsessed with the game has that. It's like if I become president of the United States, this is the first five things that I change in my first 90 days. Like, this is your dream. Like, no one just rolled up and said, oh, I'm going to be a general manager. Like, you've been working in baseball operations. You have a list. You've talked to guys and say, hey. If I ever become manager, you're coming with me. Real quick, I wanted to ask you, besides the three candidates that are obviously out there, like, you know, Buck, Council, Cap, Kapler. Um, OJ, I'm going to go to Cleveland real quick. Who do you think they're going to promote? Because if they don't do it, I want the guy. The Marlo. Huh? I think the Marlo. So not Marlo Hale? I think I think Hale comes in. I think Sandy turning down the the interview. I think Hale takes over the team for Bring a Sandy to me. <laughs> Let's go. No, I'm being serious. Bring him to Chicago. 
Sandy Sandy turned down the the interview. It's it's been reported that he he did not want to interview for the position. Um, maybe out of respect, maybe because he knows he's not going to be the guy. So again, Sandy Alomar is a guy that fresh face. I'll put it this much: Sandy's not going to be worse than paid. He's not. He's not. His interview, his press conference are going to be more interesting. And I would be okay if it was Sandy Alomar, just because I know that he would not at least be faking it up there, and that's the problem. Like there was no positive out of anything he did. There was no positive in the dugout. There was no positive off the field. There was no positive for like the media, everyone that we've talked to or something that have an issue with him or his staff. There's no positive of, Oh, he was really good with the bullpen or he was really good with, Oh, he was, you can't say, Oh, he came there and his, and his background in catching made the white Sox catchers better. It actually was a complete opposite. They got worse, you know, since he took over. So there was nothing there. So if you say someone like Sandy Alomar, we're in the position right now. Remember where we were last offseason where everybody was like, anyone's going to be better than Tony? Same situation right now. The bar is not going to be very hard. Tony won 81 games, and we were worried about, like, well, whoever replaces them is going to be better. Well, imagine replacing a guy who lost 101 games. <laughs> that seems pretty easy to me. Like if I had to make a bet right now, and if Sandy Alomar took this team, he wouldn't lose 101 games with the same roster. Yeah. Yeah. I with want the same to... owner. With the same everything. <laughs> I just, want... like, you could have I won want... 10 games out of pride. Yeah. I wanted him after Ricky and going into 2020. I wanted Dave uh... Martinez before Ricky, but that was just a whole other. I wanted Dave Martinez after the 16th season. I thought that he was going to be the guy. But again, yeah. again, there's a lot of ways. I, I still don't know why they interviewed Ozzy. Um, it's just it, there's a lot. By the way, I don't know why. There's no way in hell that Pedro is better than than uh, than Joe Espada in any aspect ever. Not even being a bald guy. Jay, do you have any uh, rapping thoughts to this? So Sandy, guys, Sandy, 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 both guys, Sandy. So yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna bring up Gonzo's point. Like I never like this year. I didn't think there would be a chance that Pedro Grafal gets fired during the season. Now. My, I am pivoting to the point to where I'm letting you people talk to me in real time, talk me into believing that there is an avenue for the White Sox to move on, and they'll probably be better suited doing so sooner rather than later, especially with the current climate and the direction that the team wants to take, especially being progressive and not being archaic. Doing a new voice, just just a new. There's no no one's made the point to me. I'm I'm working backwards. Okay, before you usually say. Oh, he's a first-year manager. Oh, I'll give you. I'll give you an example. Rick Renteria. Okay, Rick Renteria had 100-game losing seasons. He came in, then he was Ron Ventura's bench coach. But you would hear positive things out of the clubhouse saying Rick Renteria is super close to the players. Like not BS close. Like we're family, and some player going off and making a comment, and then oh, and then two months later, you're saying we had the wrong players here because if if you went back, okay. When you look at his comments in spring training, how he would talk about Lynn, Middleton, players that left, and then how he talked about them after they left, you're like, this guy's either full of – or he's crazy, or he had didn't know idea who these guys were. When he said, yeah. oh, some of the guys were missing the leadership that was here, it was like, wait a minute. For the, for the classic, that's why we had a slow start. But then you're like, the right guys left because they were not – you know, they were not part of this team, the right – what we were trying to build – Say, wait a minute, you said that they were the right guys in spring training. Now they're the wrong guys. 
What, yeah. what does that mean? So things like that, you look at it and you say, okay, what's what's the story behind this? With Rick Venturia, we never heard things like that. He just lost games on the field. But you never heard, like, this happened in the clubhouse. Dude, a dude was sleeping. A, a guy named Middleton, who nobody even knew who he was as a pitcher in Chicago until he pitched with the White Sox, still unknown by half the league until he said there was teammates of mine sleeping. They have no idea what the F they're talking about. Broke the story. And then that happened under this guy's regime. That never happened yeah. under Rick Korea. They lost 100 games. Again, you can lose 100 That didn't even games. happen under Robin. Correct, but I'm saying you can lose 100 games. And Robin had the the, the jersey slashing, you know, the, the, the crazy the real stuff. real chaos. The, the uh, Drake LaRoche. Again, so there was things that were happening that you, you're hearing out off, you're hearing outside of the field that you're like, okay, this guy has no control of his clubhouse whatsoever. Okay. Then you see the actions on the field and you're like, he just is bad managing. Like simple things, righty, lefty. I'll give you an example. He said that he did not hit Oscar, that he was starting Oscar Colas versus lefties because of how well he hit against them lifetime. And then you go and look at baseball reference, a simple lookup, and they're like, this guy has less than 15 at bats versus lefty. Yet you've been benching him the whole time versus lefty. You say, oh, he's bad. He's going down to the minor leagues. Then the day you bring him up, you say, he went down there. He figured himself out. He's the greatest next thing that came out from the White Sox. Then you say that he's bad. Then the 10 days that he does hit well, before sending him out, you rip him apart again. And it's like, okay, so what is it? So there's no consistency when it comes to that. So if they keep him, it's fine. I don't think that there's any wins and loss negativity. It's just like same old stuff. You'll be reading off and he'll go on the offensive side. We had good at bats on the defensive side. We had some good outs, same crap. It won't get worse, but it, I don't, it'll be very hard to get extremely better. It might get a little bit better. So you're not losing. But if you bring in someone else that's brand new, the chances of that person being that much better are so much higher than him improving. So when you're looking at outcomes, it's like, damn, I'll take my chance with saying like, this guy's so bad right now that anybody else right now, Espada, Sandy, uh, AJ Brzezinski, Doug Minkiewicz, Jason Veritek, who, by the way, nobody's putting him on your list, on anybody's list. Great guy that's ready to manage you. Long. The guy from Philadelphia as a hitting coach. You can make a list of guys in many places. Willie Harris, that you're like, I'll give them a shot. At my, their thing might be at least more interesting. Press conference. That's the that's the disgusting part right there. How the hell did didn't Willie Harris get a chance to manage this White Sox team? He wouldn't Why? have lost 101 games. I can guarantee you that. Nobody would have been sleeping in the clubhouse. He, his his press conference wouldn't have been as maybe as articulate. And Willie wouldn't have probably said we're going to kick your ass in the in in the press conference, but I'll tell you that we they might be in a better position development wise. Yeah, what's really going on in there again. So, and and the part where it really makes it hard is that there's a disconnect now between that and the front office. That not front office between that and the fans and that in the media, where we are all making fun of the rebuild because they're selling smoke, and he's saying. You know, he made the comment, I'm not going to waste losses. I'm not going to waste wins for, for uh, rebuilding purposes and development. Well, that, was a, that was a quote, one of them. Um, again, I'm not quoting him, but something around those terms. So when you're looking at things in that aspect, you're like, you really need to consider, like, your number one pitcher just went from Cy Young to not being as great. Michael Kopech digressed. So all your prospects took steps down. Oh, Andrew Vaughn got better. Well, no shit. He's playing first base every day. Like, I hope that he got better. He's an everyday position player. 
you had them trade Berger, yet you didn't make any crazy comments. Any other manager, okay, that wouldn't have been scared, the moment they traded Berger would have said everything and been passive-aggressive, saying, I am absolutely disgraced that this trade happened. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That That's something that people don't look at, and he didn't do that. So for things that need to move forward more in the worrying of, okay, and what I'm worried about is when that team and Chris and those guys take over, are they going to be the managers? And Pedro's just making the lineup and just getting doing what the front office does. And they're they're pulling again. Is that going to be a better version than what they got in the field? So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, somebody tell Gonzo he's muted. He's ignoring my text. I was going to say, before we go on to the postseason, you brought up a point about Andrew Vaughn. And that leads me to a little um, to the, uh, 2023 wrap that I want to get into is our our best and worst takes, some receipts. I'll start first. We'll try to wrap this up really quickly. Um, I want to say my worst take from this season was sitting at the White Sox. We're going to have the best pitching rotation in the division. That That was my worst take. Um, it's somewhere in there earlier in the year. Um, but I want to say my best take, and I got a little photo of it. Thanks to Justin for popping this in there for us. Don't put me into this. Don't put me in it. <laughs> Moving on from Pedo and um, putting Vaughn where he should have been at first base. Then again, if the if Han knew he was going to do this originally, he should have traded Pedo for value. We won't get there, but those are the uh, 2023 end of the season results, and it's all in favor of Mr. Opie, as he's called in some areas of the cesspool. Um, and like um, like Ozzy was saying, you're finally putting him in his natural position, and you're starting to see now that he finally got to over 20 home runs in a season. His power's back. Start off slow, but he hit up. He got there at the end. Terrible all you know all round year for the team, but Robert was by far the brightest. But Opie was right there as one of those productive bats. Obviously, if you if you're Chris Getz and you surround these guys with more protection in that order, you're going to see a lot more better results than what he has even shown this year. Um, so I'm look I'm excited for Andrew Vaughn going forward, and that was one one of my best takes. For this he's a seventh season. hitter. He's a seventh hitter, um, beating a Brayu with wheel in a wheelchair at the back end of his career was not very hard because they're two completely different baseball players. A is a dude. Andrew Vaughn is just—he's a player. He's good, but he's not a dude. Um, just because you play first base does not make you the best player on a team, and that's okay. I think that he had a great year. I think monetarily wise was amazing. The fact that they didn't sign that they went to Andrew. Um, because Andrew did not have a oh my god type of season, because I don't think that he is an oh my god type of player. He's I not. I think that he did. If Andrew Vaughn can do what he did this year for the next seven years for the Chicago White Sox, they've got themselves a great draft pick, and and who he is because twenty plus home runs, solid defense, uh, put the ball in play. His average compared to the league is way above average for the twenty home runs that he got. Uh, his OPS. So like all his numbers are going to get better. I think right now they might've been expecting him to do a little bit too much. So I think that him hitting sixth, seventh, um, I think that his years are going to get better. So I think that Andrew Vaughn 
they'll have to find those home runs elsewhere. But you let Andrew v. Andrew, and it was one of the bright spots for the Chicago White Sox this season. My worst take, um, it was very easy. I think for the whole Guillen family, we banked on the – if Pedro Grifol wins 83 games, he will be manager of the year just because the media was going to ride him into the sunset and say that he was the greatest manager to ever live the game because of wanting to make Tony La Russa look bad. And this guy lost 101 games. And in the not only losing 101 games, he lost the fan base and basically lied about everything that he said in the press conference. It's literally one of those things of that you play and play clown music in the background because it's literally a laughing. The only person who's lied more about this is anyone who's ever won the presidency in Venezuela the last 30 years on things that are going to fix the country. It's like legit. we're not supposed to get political. I can say it. It's Venezuela, my homeland. It's literally the like. <laughs> it's literally like a. Like, it's literally was lie after lie after lie after lie after lie. I'm saying after the fact. I'm not saying when it happened. I'm saying like looking back at it, I, I'm shocked because a lot of people that I respect in baseball were like, "This guy is not going to mess up a righty lefty righty left righty righty matchup." Okay, he's not going to mess up a bullpen guy on when having him warming up and when not warming him up. Like very easy standard. God, Ned Yost won a World Series. Uh, you, you know, Tommy Lasorda won a World Series. You can say Ozzie Guillen was a horrible manager. He won a World Series. Like, you can get away with, like, a, a very average. God, Terry Vevington was 81-81. You know, the worst manager in White Sox history. Vavimint, with, with the talent of this team, that this team had, just a natural ability of just going out there and playing. 101 games was very crazy. And the fact that there was no injuries like the years where you lost Eloy Jimenez when his tit ripped off. In the beginning of the year, or you lost, you know, uh, uh, Luis Robert with the hit for a whole year. So I think that was my worst take because obviously he wasn't even close to that. Um, I think my uh, my best take early on was uh, I believe I don't know if I made it possible. I did think that that they were going to have a decent season on um, the Roberto was going to have a decent year. Uh, that was come a on, one. be humble. No. I think your best take was saying. First person that Pedro's gonna hold accountable is Louis. Well, that's Robert what I was saying. Though. I was just saying though. So this, that's what I was gonna get to. I think that yeah. that was my best take was that I I predicted that just because he never had a manager get on him, I really think. And if I had to give Pedro Grifol credit for one thing, he woke up Louis Robert. And mm-hmm. here's the thing: I think Louis Robert's ceiling. I think he can be Ronald Acuna. I think he can be Mookie Betts. I think he's a dude. Like if he has a ten-year career making a couple all-star games, being an extremely rich guy, and he doesn't hit, like, 400 home runs and, you know, multiple silver sluggers and, like, a borderline conversation guy for a Hall of Fame, I'm going to look back and say this guy kind of didn't maximize on his talent. I'm not going to say wasted, but he didn't maximize his talent. Like, I look at a guy like him, and I'm like, he should have a better career than Jermaine Dye, just on God-given ability. Because when you look at him, you're like, this guy has five complete tools um, he can't stay healthy, but if he fixes that, so I don't I, think. But uh, the problem with Luis Robert, not to cut you off, OJ, is the consistency. Correct, and, and the brain, and and he doesn't have the the the. I don't think that he has the the hitting acumen. Again, comparing him, his at bats, even to Gavin Sheets. When you see Gavin Sheets, again, the talent level is different. But you could you, you could have talked about like a guy like Elvis Andrews, basically surviving on just pure baseball knowledge at his age of producing so i would think i would think that my best take was that i think that predicting that that pedro would get on on uh on pantera early on enough and the reason why i've also thought that was 
because I think I think that Pantera never had it. But it's funny because looking back at it, it I should have even said that even more with more confidence because he loves getting on rookies. He that's his thing. <laughs> like rookies, anyone in the league with less than two years, it's like it's in Pedro's like I'll he's fight praying on him. Yeah, he's praying on him. He's like he likes them. He likes them young. Like he knows that they're not going to come back at him, and it's not like going to be like uh like he's not going to get on Yohan Moncada, who's got seven plus years in the big leagues, eight years. So if that, that I think that's my uh my best thing. I think my second worst take. I'm going to say this right now. I thought Moncada was going to have a bounce back year, um, completely, and I don't think that he had a horrendous year. Like uh, it was and, subpar. It was subpar, but I thought he was going to be back to at least being average. I thought he'd be on the Andrew Vaughn list of of uh okay at least he wasn't a liability in this position i thought that he was going to be an average uh i thought he was going to be average i thought T was going to be average and those guys when we looked at the analysis their second halves were not bad at all actually ta's second yeah. half was really strong moncada's so there was april, april through may killed us because we were stuck in the mud as a flawed team already correct but when you look at the and that's why losing 101 games when you look at the stats themselves is very hard to fathom because guys I think the two hardest stats to fathom are this in Major League Baseball this year: the Chicago White Sox losing 101 games, and the San Diego Padres and the Minnesota and the, and the New York Mets not making the playoffs. Why? When you look at the production of their players individually, you're like, oh my god! Like these guys, they produce, like they hit, like it was just a thing that they couldn't put it together at the right time. The White Sox completely opposite. The guys had sparks of doing great. They probably would have been a 500 team if they had done certain things better. But they weren't, they're not that team that everyone expects in the 90 plus wins. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to get this out of the way. My worst take was me believing this team was going to win at least 88 games, <laughs> at the very least. He bet the over, guys. Oh, the other. I, I the took the over. worst take was that uh, you probably picked Boston too to win the division. I know you didn't. Yeah. We're not going to talk about my step team on this platform. This is a Chicago White Sox podcast. And I'm just saying, I picked the over on the wins. Um, I probably wanted to hedge that bet right after Cinco de Mayo. I was like, you know what? We're fucking screwed. Like, we're cooked. Um, a good take that I had, though, uh, I bet this man named Dan from the Three Kings of the Midway podcast, Bears football uh, podcast, and I bet him that Luis Robert and Eloy was going to play 120 games respectively. And right before Eloy uh, hurt his foot on consequently the last week of the season, he gave me his 120th game. And um, going into the season, like just to isolate those two, I didn't have to question the offensive prowess of Luis Robert and Eloy. They already showed me who they really were. It's just a question of will the body of work build up to where you could get a full season of results and you 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 could take a pretty good look at what Luis Robert did he hit 38 home runs with a sub 900 OPS why because as we alluded to with OJ he's uh offensively inconsistent there's a lot of peaks and valleys within Luis Robert's uh production so even it, like I'm gonna be honest with you I think this is the best Luis Robert will ever be when you're including health and the the rate of contact that he uh that he's generated this season, I don't think he could be better than this OJ, and I don't think he'll ever touch. He will never ever touch a 2006 Jermaine die. 
I I don't think he'll ever come close. 2006 Jermaine Dye is a very very good, uh, very good numbers again in the in the end in the back end of his career, and that's when we're talking about what's going to be the best thing to do for this team moving forward. Because Lewis, you have under control for a while, but there's other players where you potentially could move at the highest moment because you don't want them to regress. So it's a decision that you have to make for how important is 2023. More importantly, to win than winning a division, it's like, how do we set ourselves up for success down the line, especially if you keep the same strategy on how you spend money in an offseason? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, Vision just put in the comments, like Jermaine Dye got snubbed out of a uh, out of an MVP because Justin Morneau had a couple more RBI. That's basically what it was, and it was absolutely terrible. Absolutely highway robbery. It was worse than Giambi getting the MVP over Todd Helton. That's going to be one. That's going to be one that we're going to have to debate on, like the MVPs that that were robbed. Again, it's one of those things that when you look at it, uh, again, he was a great year. But when you're looking at the the makeup of of how this team went along, there was a lot of really good takes. There was some positives on on guys that you are like, okay, uh, should this guy come back? Um, should we move over from this guy? It was a, it was a year more of oh, that signing did not end well. Um, this mm-hmm. signing was bad. Those guys, you move on and you kind of go from there. But I think that the expectations, when we when we manage our expectations on guys, I think that I don't feel disappointed by Dylan Cease because I manage my expectations. I feel like if you put Dylan on another team, that win-loss record is completely different. Um, he was only like one point higher in his ERA than he was a year before. Oh, why wasn't he as great? Well, um, he wasn't um he, he he wasn't the Cy Young. He again he won he was a number two in the Cy Young race. Some debate that he should have been the Cy Young. So when you're looking at those numbers and things like that, there was a lot of positives, there was a lot of negatives, but it seems like they could never put it together. Health-wise, uh, it cannot be used as an excuse like in other years because they were pretty healthy. Um, but most of the year they just couldn't put it together. And again, you could you can you can produce numbers that does not mean that you produce wins. There was a lot of games this year, a long list of them. I think the difference between losing 108 games and then only losing 81 games, games that you let get out of hand, the days that you came out completely flat, completely horrendous lineups that you have no idea where we had, we had, and we had Berger hitting eighth for a whole month when the guy was like literally producing. He might have, he was an OPS machine. No, I'm just talking about like the other day I was talking to somebody and I said, Berger might have had more home runs. What do you mean? I was like, they, they cost him at least 35 at bats, 40 at bats, maybe more with the White Sox hitting him eighth and seventh or not playing him at all. They left him two weeks and freaking three weeks in, in spring training because they wanted Hansel Alberto in the lineup. You know what I mean? Like, it, so there's things that you did that they were, that they were like. I think that's when the front office should have got fired once. Uh, Alberto got deep. Do, you guys remember, do you guys remember the year that Eloy got hurt? Okay. They they came up with the Germinator. Okay. A, a guy that showed potential, but we really didn't know much about. And they wrote him all the way in April. And legitly, that's what set the tone, April and May, for them going and winning that many games. And it was like their division from the beginning. Do you imagine if they would have done that with Berger and Berger gets hot and carries them through April? Might be a difference. I'm not right. seeing that they win a division. I won't have to hedge any fucking bets. Correct. You're 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 in the race. You're you're I in was August. still in the money. You're you might be in August. You might be fighting. 
And you got to think, let's just isolate Jake Berger, and then we're going to move into the, a little bit of postseason talk. Look at the hitter Jake Berger was when he transformed that Miami Marlins team. He was a battler. He was a brawler. He, he wasn't this some hyper-analytical hitter. No. Pitch to pitch, he was adjusted. Pitcher to pitcher, he was adjusted. You could physically see that from a TV screen. Like, why would the White Sox let somebody with that type of work ethic, somebody who is willing to go to the drawing board mid-battle and make some adjustments? I'm pretty sure the White Sox have a preparation issue. I can't – I don't really – think that the whole clubhouse is worried about scouting reports being at meetings shit like that like being prepared for they're not mandatory like they're not mandatory under Pedro Grafal hitting meetings according to many are not mandatory I didn't share this as was shared with somebody in the cesspool because they're going to come and blame it back on me many people on Twitter have shared that are, are way more informed than we are that hitting, that hitting meetings were not mandatory that's set, and, and, and fucking wins weren't mandatory. Now, let's just go, let's just move into the playoffs where the Orioles are on the verge of getting swept as the number one seed. Wait, they're getting, so they're getting it's a three-game series, right? Is it a five-game series? It's five-game series, five, five, but they five. already dropped two. Yeah, so today, Bochi, Bo, 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 he's going to go, he's just advancing. I thought old dudes weren't cool. Yeah. I thought, and by the way, anybody out there that thinks that the, the Texas Rangers are analytical, I just laugh. Yeah, I think that Bochi's out there, like thinking, like, oh, I should not hit this guy because he is the br-. like that is just out there. Is so it, let's talk about crazy. the postseason. Yeah, like uh, uh, starting with this Rangers Orioles series, the Orioles are getting outscored twenty to one as it stands right now in an elimination game in a warehouse down in Texas. They're down seven to one. Yeah. I think the World Series is being played right now between two teams in the same division. I really do. I think the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies are probably the two best teams in baseball, and they're playing each other in the first round of the series. Like I they're, really think that. They're playing baseball at a very high level, and we could just go as recently as last night, the game that ended, uh, uh, the game between the Phillies and the Braves. Uh, long story short, here we go with another uh, long, deep fly ball by Nick Castellanos, this time uh, into right field. And Michael Harris makes a catch at the wall, throws a 340-foot bullet back to the infield. Ozzie Albies takes his eye off the ball as the cutoff man. Now Austin Riley has to race from the third base bag as a third baseman covering a throw from center field. That's not supposed to happen. And he fires a dart to get to double up Bryce Harper, who was almost only 40 feet away from the bag. So it took two outstanding throws to get Bryce Harper doubled up. And then you got the casuals on the internet talking about some, you can't make that judgment and run yourself out of the inning. First of all, the Phillies had a four to one uh, lead that they blew. Uh, Atlanta stopped the Phillies from scoring. So you don't know when your next scoring opportunity is going to come. You have to gamble because if Michael Harris misses that ball, at least it's a Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper took a chance. Yes. The hits, the ball hits off the wall. Because Harper's probably thinking, if he catches a ball, okay, I tag up, I'm at second. Somebody's going to have to drive me in. If that ball, if I take off now, I have a chance to score. Because they're going to be thinking 2-2-2, two, 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 and I'm scoring. And I got to run around scoring position now. Momentum's in our side. The part where he, the part where it got crazy, because he was going to get back to the bag, was that Austin Riley ruined his day. Yes. He was a heads-up play. 
and moved when he saw the, the, the throw being offline. He was in the game and basically V-lined it to get the ball and throw. So I don't think that the first base coach or even Harper himself, because if I'm turning back and I see the ball off the line, I'm saying I'm back at first. There's no one going to be, no one's going to be covering there. So Especially with Ozzy Albies missing the ball in the middle right. of the diamond. If you're looking at the trajectory, you're coming back. And if you look at it, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good. And he was going full speed still. The fact that Austin Riley went in there and threw it and it was a bullet, that's understandable. But that makes a good, two great heads up play. Uh, the, the dangerous part with the, the problem with the Phillies all year long, and this is where manager, ma- managing comes into place. When you have a lead, and people say managers don't matter. Yes, they do. If you have a three-run lead, you, your job as a manager is to protect that lead at all costs, especially in playoff baseball. That's when you see guys bring in their number one, their closer in the fifth inning is because they're protecting the lead. Yeah. The lead at all costs. You don't do it in the regular season because it might hurt you in later rounds, like more games coming down. So you use your bullpen. But your job as a manager is if they give you a two or three-run lead is to protect it, especially as you go deeper in the game. Every inning that you get closer to the ninth inning, protecting the lead is the more important, especially with more than one run. Because let's say it's a one-run lead and you bring in the pitcher and they hit a home run off of him. It's a one-run lead. It's a home run. You made the wrong choice. But if you have a three, if you have a, a three-run lead, and then you start intentionally walking people or pitching around guys, and then bringing the tying run to the plate, that's on you, Boo Boo. Or you let yeah. them out, then you know. Let's ball. look at Dusty. Let's look at Dusty. So after after Abreu hit the home run, right? There was a couple of frames where Houston stopped scoring. Next thing you know, uh, Jeremy Pena starts off the the frame with a single. Maldonado was bunting right after him with a four-run lead. You know why? Because it's time to yeah. pad and protect the lead. There's a lot of people, a, lo- a lot of casuals out there, OJ, think protecting the lead is not adding to the lead. Yeah, no. You, you walk, lead off double, walk, bring in the next guy hit by a pitch, bases loaded, one pitch, boom, tie game. That's that. The whole game, it flips on its head. because Just easy. I just literally decide. gave you a scenario. Double the lead off, not crazy. You're looking at the guy at second. You walk a guy. Okay, here comes. Let's bring in a good reliever. Reliever comes in. A weird inside pitch off the elbow pad. It sounds like the White Sox going from a Dylan Cease to Aaron Brummel. A four-run lead, maybe in your softball team or in Little League and your kids travel baseball, is a hard thing to lose. In Major League Baseball, two or three pitches can change a four-run lead very easily because everyone has the power to just go especially deep. now let's just let's yeah, take, the, the uh, take it a little take deep. it a little deeper the pitch clock now you can't stop momentum no so it's a bloop bloop bat bloop yeah. walk blast walk can't catch my breath fake ass mating at the mound another double three run shot now i'm down five to three how many runs were the cubs uh the marlins that one that came back and the, the how many outs they had six outs to go and uh, yeah, in 03. The Boston Mets did it to Boston. Again, that's what you say you played to the last out, but yep. that run in the fit, that, that one that one run for cushion uh makes it happen. Again, we're the part that I find it interesting, especially when White Sox and people are looking at managers and uh analytics works better than anything. We're we always see managers that have experience with the big teams in the big postseason games. Okay. And I'm not gonna hate on the Orioles because this is their first postseason. These kids were playing college two years ago. Yeah. Like, they've been on the run from the beginning. They're, they've been running in the National League East. 
Maybe they got juice, you know, they, maybe they got the, the juices coming out, uh, you know, dying out. Texas has a little bit more experience. Maybe not as a team. They got Seager. They got Marcus. They got guys that have been there. Uh, yeah. Been there. So maybe they're going to, they can go in the later rounds there. But Houston is showing their, their uh, experience level. Atlanta, Phillies, again, two managers, a lot of experience. Dave Roberts, the team that is the king of analytics. <laughs> Done. Again, about to go out. Like Dave Roberts is about to. And when people talk about a World Series ring, yes, he has a trophy. Yes, it's in the books, but it's a shortened season for all the players and everybody. It's like, did you win one in the 162 game season? And again, the Dodgers are facing a team that I said from the beginning I was going to be a very dangerous team because of what they do. They put the ball in play, they are very fast, and they catch everything. And in my yep. opinion, they matched up really well against the Dodgers. They had their number in the beginning of the year. The Dodgers beat them, I think, four out of five the last five times they met. And in my head, I'm like, that's really hard to keep whooping on the same team that's that good for another series. So right now, the I think the Diamondbacks are about to pull the biggest upset out of everyone because the Dodgers are pretty much a number one seed and probably one of the better teams in baseball. I don't think any team has won back-to-back 100-season games and been knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. Again, they got the bye, but I think the Diamondbacks are going to do it. But it goes back into that where you had a guy like Tony Lavulo who they lost 110 games three years ago, but you saw the development of the players. It wasn't like 110, 105, 110, 120. It was like 110, 85. It was like a scalable build where the yeah. White it's been like, like the, the Padres have been like, they, you look at the stepping stones that they've taken and that's the difference. And again, clubhouse atmosphere, player development, you look at their players, you're like, man, they got like four guys there that probably could get traded because they're just too much depth. So you can see the difference in development from a White Sox fan standpoint, the only positive end of the light tunnel is that the guy that they got, Barfield, is responsible pretty much for a majority of that with his yeah. at front office. But, uh, but I think my favorite series right now is Diamondbacks Dodgers, just because I predicted in my within my buddies that the Diamondbacks were going to do it. But I, I, man, World Series, I, I still got Houston coming out of the American League, unless the Texas Rangers can can surprise them. I still got Houston coming out of the American League, and I think out of the National League, I, I still got the Braves. If they, the Braves beat the Phillies in this series, they're they're going to beat everybody else. Before we go to predictions. Um... I'll be honest, Justin, I haven't been – I know I told you this earlier in the studio, but I haven't been able to watch as many games as, as I wanted to being at, you know, with my day job. But um, from what I – the couple games I've seen, I'm, I'm – I think it's best for baseball that it happened this way, but a lot of your lineups with your young hitters with less postseason experience, they've been thriving. And that's what I wanted to see. I was kind of um, thinking that some of these – experienced teams would take over this postseason but it hasn't been really the case because you've seen texas and arizona take off um it's exciting to see um what's your rapid thoughts before we get into predictions well and you you kind of see where the game is starting to go is starting to heal whether the natural athlete is starting to take over i'm gonna give you a prime example look at how many outs are being stolen on the base paths look how many guys that was getting thrown behind 
and a lot of good pickoff plays, especially in the Minnesota versus Toronto game. You have to be able to put those type of things together. I want to talk about another uh, young outfielder, Evan Carter, who's basically looking like Larry Walker at the plate, Gonzo. He's, got, he's given me a 1,500 OPS in his first postseason. Hell, I think he got more post-bats than he does at the regular season level. Okay. Yeah. So you're watching young hitters build their legacy and – we we this won't be the last time we call their name in the postseason. You know what I'm saying? There this won't be the last time Evan Carter's hitting nukes in the warehouse on Fox on a Tuesday afternoon in October. No. So I, I'm interested to see who's gonna build their postseason resume next. Cause I was just looking at Carlos Correa and he's third all time in postseason RBI. Only oh, yeah, he's up there. He's made the most out of it again when you're there. You know, you know I was very happy that got knocked out. Like so happy, Tampa. Yeah, get them out of there. Oh, they're so good. They don't spend. Mo- they don't spend money because that's a choice. People think that that they go they go analytical because they're trying to be smart. No, they're being cheap. They're being cheap, and just because they compete and keep their team again there and get them in the playoffs, they haven't done anything. They haven't been to the World Series in a, in a little bit. It's like really, it's like Oakland saying, "Well, we won with the being cheap." strategy you know they made a movie about us it hasn't worked and they didn't didn't win they didn't win they didn't win you don't win often again when people were judging bochi i'm sorry for people out there that say the managers don't matter bruce bochi's in the playoff again he won three world series with the with the giants with three different core teams like with three different studs at the mound like he's been successful and now the rangers are back in it yes they spent some money but they had the right guy at the helm. Yeah. So there's there's a there's a correlation of success with a manager and a good team. There's no good team with a random manager. Name a name a good team with a random manager. And what I mean rando means nobody knew his name before he got hired. Ain't no Pedro Gafalls in the That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying though. That's what I'm saying. When when you hear the name Joe Espada, it's a name that has been sounding for a while because of his experience. The Sandy Alomar. So they're not so much randos, but they're inexperienced. But when you look at everybody that's had a good team, there's a level of success. But there's no random managers on any of the playoff teams. There's no randos. Tony Lavulo, like fourth year managing, maybe fifth year uh, managing the, the Diamondbacks at this point. Yeah. Wait, OJ, you said, sorry, Diamondbacks versus who again? No, no, no. I, I think that I think that if the, the Diamondbacks are going to beat the Dodgers, they are. I, if, I do not think that they'll be able to beat Atlanta or Philadelphia. Like, I think both of those teams are just, I think not only scary, I think that playing whoever plays Philadelphia other than Atlanta, when they play in Philadelphia, might just crap their pants and just be like, you know, let's call it a day. It's a very hard ballpark to play in. I have the World Series, I think it's going to be Atlanta. And I think the Houston Astros come out of the 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 American League. It could be either Philly, whoever comes out out of the Philly Atlanta series. I think goes to the World Series. And I got the Houston Astros coming out of the American League. I don't think the Houston Texas series. I think they played a lot in the division. And I think Houston kind of. I think they're going to dominate that. So I I still think there's going to be. I think Houston still pulls it off and goes all the way to the to the postseason. Uh, Justin, go ahead. Why are people still pitching a Jordan Alvarez? Is beyond me. How why do people by the way why do why haven't people ever realized that Jordan Alvarez is better against lefties than he is against righty? 
stupid, stupid baseball. Like, MLB the show. MLB the show. You can see it. Yet all these teams are analytical, yet they still bring the lefty against them. Uh, hold on. Wait. I'll do you one further. Bring a lefty in and still pitch him inside. Like, what are you, what way, are you doing? I would not. These guys are running baseball teams. Why the F would you just pitch to him? Like, why, why pitch to him? I'm like, <clears throat> Barry Bonds is not hitting behind him. Do he not. Can't, he doesn't would, steal bases, so he can't no, literally like, hurt you. At this would be base. my game plan. Do not pitch to Jordan Alvarez. Number one, unless we have to. <laughs> what do you mean you have to? We have the bases loaded. I watched this man hit the ball in the same spot four times. Today. Also, talk about playoff numbers. He's he's dangerous in 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 crucial situations. In uh, with the go ahead runs again, these teams are all analytical. Yet I'm looking at better stats than they are. Using baseball reference and baseball savant, like I'm literally sitting here watching the game, googling stuff, and I'm getting better stats and saying, "Why is this idiot? Shouldn't you have an algorithm telling you better stats than what I'm looking at online? Like, why are you pitching to this monster?" Yeah. Again, he, he, literally, he's literally the Kukui OJ. Yes, he is very dangerous. He is out of that lineup, the only guy that scares me. And again, this is a lineup in Houston that I used to be petrified of everybody pre-pandemic when they were in their, you know, years of the asterisk years. They were just this lineup was just scary up and down the lineup. Some of those guys are a little bit older now. A lot of guys, a few guys are missing. Uh, you know, the Springers of the World, Correa's no longer there. The only guy in that team that I'm like, this guy is scary in the lineup is Jordan Alvarez. Everybody else, I'm like, you can pitch around them. You can you, you can manage you can manage around. Right. And then with the danger, the dangerous part about Houston is they always put them in position to where it'll be worse if you try to pitch around them because there's guys on base. Like you, right. you don't you 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 risk putting the go-ahead run in scoring position usually when you come to the situation where you want to walk Jordan. Like the only times where, like uh, they had first base open with Jordan at the plate, it was already five to none, inconceivable. Like it, the game is already out of hand before you put yourself in position to try to fix the problem. Gonzo, if you wanna, if you wanna, um, a prediction, I got Phillies versus the Minnesota Twins. I feel like the oh. Twins. I uh, I still, even though Sonny Gray made the the mistake to Abreu. I feel like the Minnesota Twins put together some good at-bats down the stretch in the game. They just couldn't push runs across. And I think if Sonny Gray got one or two runs of support, maybe, maybe you could squeak it out. Question. Um, and I know this might take us a little bit longer, but it's fine. Is it Bush League what Minnesota Twin fans are doing? Boo, uh, screaming? Because, at no. No. Not Bush League? No. Because so. <clears throat> it could affect both sides, by the way. It could affect the hitters, too. Yeah, no. And what when I mean, it, it's not Bush League because you want to you want to say you grow the game. That pitch clock is very interactive with everybody in the stadium. It's just like the crowd going counting down with the shot clock. At yeah, no, I love, no, no, I agree. I agree. I love the pitch clock, by the way. I think it's. People are hating it. They said they shouldn't have been there for the playoffs. I love it. I think it gives makes it a part of a strategy. It makes you want to yeah. be in the game. It makes you want to keep your head in the game. Um, as a fan, you're engaged. I'm not changing the channel because I know the guys are going to walk around the mound 18 times, so I have to stay on the game. Uh, but I agree. I think that uh, it's been a great playoff. It's been a lot of great series. But if you if you are correct and the Minnesota Twins go that deep into the playoffs, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the Chicago White Sox? 
Lonzo, uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, it's a bad thing. Okay. Can I just ask, let me ask because why. it shows you how far you are away. Because what you were thinking this was a bad division. Correct, 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 correct. And they were actually when you, when you look at it at the end of the season, if I, I believe they were tied with Texas or a game under Texas with the best the best momentum going to the off season. Correct, correct. Going on the last twenty five games or yeah, something. Going I in. think it was I think it was Texas and Philly were the hottest teams, but Minnesota was a game behind Texas, if I remember right. So, and that's concerning because remember OJ, me, you begin the season we were talking about the trade with Arias and Pablo. Dude, could that be could, could that be one of the best trades ever made for both teams? Well, because both teams get into the playoffs, right? Which I felt at the end of the season it was better for Miami, but now in the postseason it's better for you know Minnesota because yeah, Pablo is season he's pitched better he's, in the postseason than he has in the regular season. He showed up and and Miami just and that, that, by the that way, fire this, went out. And this is why Lucas Giolito got picked up by Anaheim and then got picked up by Cleveland. Because you have guys at those levels of their names, you think that they're going to potentially have the stuff and show up. And it's going to be interesting because we've seen how pitching is so key that the Dodgers, again, they got one the first year Trevor Bauer suspended. The fact that they were still talking about Clayton Kershaw, I'm 39 years old. He's been the guy since I was like 25. It yeah. seems it's like you're throwing out there him where he is no longer the main guy. You know that in his name and his jersey, yes, he is a, a future Hall of Famer. But it's like if you threw Greg Maddox right now with the the the, the uh, Braves and you thought that he was going to be the number one, like he is not the guy that he used to be. But you know, Bueller and then freaking uh, uh, domestic violence boy, he got he suspended. And then obviously the Bauer. So like they've literally their starting pitching is the only reason that that team has not been able to advance. And they're about to get knocked out yet once again, because their offense is can only take you so far, which gets comes back to the White Sox that it's very hard to win with bat with with average to below average pitching. You need to have a really good pitching staff in order to advance. I do agree with everything you just said, but the only thing I want to take away, what I liked, what I saw was that they put Bobby Miller out there in game two to get that experience going forward. Oh, yeah, they, and um, hopefully they filled an ace in him. I think that's compl- yeah. I think that was fine. And they hopefully, again, going down the line of, and we've talked about this with the White Sox, of hopefully they give a shot to guys in the White Sox system and they don't try to bring in middle to over-the-road guys to tell us, we brought him in to give guys clubhouse experience. Like, no, like, no, just let the pitching coaches do that. Bring in guys to develop pitching. Uh, that's that's what I think in reality, because I think the teams in the division are going to be better. And this gives me hope for, for the, the tribe again, because they play so well against Minnesota. Here we go. Here we go. They played them, they played them all in the past. So next year, maybe, you know, with a couple moves. I just think that the, the pitchers for the Twins, Gray and Lopez, they pitch better in the postseason so far. And they have in the regular season. They weren't. They were good, but they weren't like their postseason numbers are ridiculous. Yeah, and we'll see what Ryan does tomorrow because I I feel it's like a big game for them. It's a big game. It's a big game. Ryan versus Quiddy. I I like Ryan in the matchup actually. It's a good but, game. 
you guys said you have that. You said that series in five, right? You say it goes all five. Yeah, yeah. I so I didn't, I said in the studio, but yeah, I think that series goes five. Uh, I I believe, unlike Justin, that's a good bold prediction by Justin. But I I, I believe Houston takes it in five. Yeah. So like we have but, you and I the same. So we got we got that one's in five. We got the Braves in Atlanta mm-hmm. in five. The other two series are going to be done before five. Now uh, before we wrap this up, I just want to make it perfectly clear that there is no National League team that's capable of winning the World Series this year. What are you talking? Ooh. With the two best so, on the national league. my prediction before the postseason, I wanted yeah. to see. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted to see Dodgers Orioles, um, but now that I've seen some of the games, I'm predicting Diamondbacks versus Astros. Ooh, that's, that'd be a good series. The, you better hope the fucking Diamondbacks does not face the Phillies because they're going to get bludgeoned to death, literally death by Stony. We'll see. I That's like. I like. I like that. And that he just said that there's no <laughs> team that is going to win the like. There is no National League team capable, and I'll tell you why right now. Starting pitching. Um, look at Sonny Gray right now. He made one mistake and gave up the three the three run bomb to Pito for four innings. He he dodged a lot of inherited runners. I don't think the Phillies. The Arizona Diamondbacks, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and very much so the Atlanta Braves have starting pitching that could carry them into a turbulent, carry them out of a turbulent situation. Right, and that makes sense. I could, I could, I could see that. It's more they're more offensively built teams. There's better pitching in the American League. Right, they're close. They're more like so. They're basically the old Texas Rangers. Right, the slug it out. mm -hmm, Like we'll just fucking meet in the middle of the ring. Whatever happens, happens. I can see that. No, I, I again, I can, I can completely see that. Um, and and this is a part again when you go into a playoff and you're looking at Atlanta's record and you're looking at the Phillies' record, you, you, you know certain teams that you're like, oh well, they played in that division and it's memor- You know, you're mesmerized by how you know the team that they played. But again, you, momentum and 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 maybe the Twins and and the Astros coming out again. I. The part with the Astros in that series is going to be a good one, especially if the Twins get to pull it off. Is that the Astros have so much experience? Yeah, and I, have- I think I think the key, I think the key is like Minnesota getting back to getting Pablo Lopez a cha- another chance. Yeah, giving him another start, giving him another yep. chance to take the ball. Here's the thing, though: Dusty is flirting with 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 a Hall of Fame. If Dusty wins a World Series, another one, he is in the Hall. I think he's in the Hall regardless. Right now is debatable because people are going to say he doesn't have two. I think that he should be a Hall of Famer, but a two two Hall of two World Series gets you in automatically. Yeah, and that's going to wrap up our postseason talk. Um, we're going to get back to it in the World Series when it comes, but we're going to wrap this show up with our last segment, the MLB All Time Series of ours. And tonight we're at shortstop, yes. and I'm going to begin it. I'm going to have some debate here. I'm feeling some from Justin. Can I say something real quick about this the shortstop situation? Yeah. Probably one of the hardest positions mm-hmm. so far that we've picked has been the hardest because we've had yeah. we've had tampering of illicit use of the of steroids for the first time in the conversation where one of the players involved in it, but I think the hardest part is that when we did when I did the criteria for other positions, okay? I took into consideration how many games the player played at the position. Like how how true of a 
position player are you? And I took defensive metrics in my in my lineup. You know, the combination of Pudge and the play with Ivan Rodriguez. I made yeah. it made of like, well, defense is important. Well, this is a shortstop position, probably the second most defensively important position in baseball. Some argue that it could be the number one. But here's the funny part. When I took that into consideration, that made even the position even harder mm-hmm. to pick the all-time shortstop. So it was not an easy one. And I, to add on to that, Junior, I believe you can have discussions with both natural selected position players versus hybrids. And I, I feel like we're going to get into that when we get to left field. But we'll get there when we get there. Shortstop tonight, um, my all-time shortstop is going to be Alex Rodriguez. Another another career player that has 22 years in the game. Um, was it Jordan Morgan that had 22? Also, Pujols had 22. Did you count um, the suspended season or not? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. Um, career is 295 average. Look at Justin's eyes. 380 OBP. 550 slug, 930 OPS, a 140 OPS plus, and he's got 696 home runs. Um, some of the awards and accolades, etc. He has 14 All-Star games, three MVPs, two Golden Gloves, 10 silver, 10 silver slugger awards. His WAR was 117.5. That's 16th all-time. He has 1,275 extra base hits, and that's seventh all-time. Um, I found interesting that his fielding percentage at shortstop, he had five seasons in the top ten. And um, in my lineup, I'm batting him second. And I'd like to remind everybody, this is the guy that OJ put out there for a po- potential G, uh, what vice or well, I mean, president. I, I, I could president. takes of the year. I said he's going on the White Sox. I said potentially. That would have been amazing, but um, you got the you got the the Dollar Tree version of uh of A Rod. Never don't A Rod Saks Fifth Avenue. My boy gets is like the Dollar Tree version of him, dude. A Rod is like compared career wise, dude. If A Rod's the manager of anything, like he makes the news, like he has transcended baseball. He's probably one of the most famous baseball players for both reasons, on and off the field controversies. And it's a great pick, Gonzo. I think that there was one stat of A-Rod that surprised me. And if you guys can guess, uh, it would be awesome. I'm shocked how many how many gold gloves he didn't get. He only has two. That is wild, considering the fact that um, uh, how of good of a shortstop he was. For anybody well, out the Yankees. You got to think, who is his competition? Omar Vizquel. Correct. But that's what I still, you know, even though I think he should have probably beat out Omar for potentially even when Omar went to the National League. Again, my take on A-Rod, which is hard, uh, I think that one of the things that really helped him out is that he did win an MVP um, with 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 uh, w- w- multiple MVPs, meaning I am the best player. You know, three MVPs, correct? Three. I'm the best player on the damn team. Won an MVP with the Rangers, like the, one of the crappiest years of any Rangers I've had in a long time uh, in that era uh, was with him. So I think numbers-wise, I think that he was a guy that he did it all, Rookie of the Year, MVP, you know, All-Star Games, even off, you know, getting suspended. 
but he's up there. The only thing that I that I hold against him is the fact that he did not he played half of his career at third base. So I could easily yeah. make so, the greatest third baseman of all time. So I wouldn't be able to use Robin Yount because he won an MVP in center field. Correct. Because again, he's he's a shortstop when you look <clears> at him <throat> shortstop. But again, players like that is when you're building it out. And this again, this is the same debate for Cal Ripken Jr. Um, A-Rod's number, the one that stands out for me is also the 117 uh war. His his war is a very high um one of the all-time greatest wars uh, with guys that have played that many years in the big leagues. Uh, th- that's wild. And and the 162 of him playing his money, uh, playing his money's worth. When you look at the um, his his prime years between 2000 and 2009, the amount of games that he was playing is just ridiculous uh, compared to players now. It's just unheard of. Uh, and that's you know that's uh that's pretty wild. Go ahead, Justin. Oh, well, I mean, you guys took the easy way out. You you picked probably the best offense. I, I, I haven't said who I picked. You can go now. You know what? Okay, so Gonzo took the easy way out, but took the best <laughs> offensive player in league history, one of the best right-handed internet <laughs> builders ever. I'm going to first baseman. But I'm going with the greatest rookie in uh, Boston Red Sox history. No, my. Are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah. This is called the greatest team of all time, not who I like the most. I mean, I'm not trying Are to you seriously, say- with all respect to, to Nomar and his wife, Mia, and the and their family, are, did you seriously are considering Nomar Garcia Parra for the greatest shortstop in, in, of all time? He wasn't even the greatest shortstop of his generation. Only because he was behind A-Rod. And some say Derek Jeter. Some say some are. Ordonez. Come on, bro. Anyway, two-time batting title in 99 and 2006. From 1997 to 2003, six out of seven seasons with a 100-run career, 323 bad bid. Sorry, sorry, Jay. Uh, during, that, during that same, during that same uh, span, 300 total uh, bases from 1997 to 03. Best rookie season in Red Sox history. Now, OJ, I understand that in totality, Nomar's stats doesn't line up. But what? It doesn't line up to anybody. You could have picked Dustin Pedroia for second base, and it might have been. No, better. no, because he was better than Derek Jeter during that time span. What, what time span is that? When Derek Jeter was in grade school? No, 1997 to 2003, he was better than Derek Jeter. Oh, my. His war is 44.3. Yeah, His I mean, he's closer. Put it this way: he was, injury, he, he was injured. He was injury riddled at the end of his career. Oh my I'm, God! His WAR is closer to my father's WAR than it is to your any father was a very good player. That's not a knock on Nomar. Your he was an offensive. He was a non-offensive exist. This is wild. Okay, yeah. I'm going with my next guy because again, the guy that I'm going to pick compared to Nomar is it's not a Rod, but it is. Better than Nomar. Okay. Nomar Garcia Parr is bad eighth in my lineup, right in front of Jeff Bagwell. Wait. By the way, 1997 Nomar, because he'd be get him any other year. He's just. You had Bagwell ninth? Yeah, I got Bagwell ninth, Nomar eighth, Pudge second, BGO lead. I wonder, I wonder what that Hall of Famer is thinking about Nomar hitting in front of him. 
Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. Nomar would walk into that guy and say, Nomar, are you lost? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I'm gonna so I I, I had Iron Man Kyle Ripken Jr., but I removed him for a reason. Kyle Ripken Jr. did not play his whole career at shortstop. Um, even though that Kyle Ripken is fourth of all time in defensive stats, uh, one of the greatest players to ever play the game, Iron Man himself, but I'm not going to have him there, even though his war is 95.9. I went with a guy that's extremely underrated. One of the greatest shortstops to ever play the game in his era. He was an offensive threat, changed the position completely back to being a number production. Uh, I'm going to go with Barry Larkin. Ooh. I'm going to go with Barry Larkin. Well, so, by the way, I was concerned about going with Barry Larkin because yeah. I was like, he is not the greatest of all time statistically wise. I'm just putting him the greatest of all time who only played shortstop. Did not play anywhere else. You know why that's crazy? He only played three games at second base in a 19 career season and DH only three times. That means every time he took the field, Barry did it with a glove. His 1996 year was the probably one of the best years in MLB history. In MLB Tabla. history. In MLB history. Again, if he would have played, he, he played in, in, a, in a Reds team that won a lot of a uh, lot of games. He was the MVP number one uh, in 1995. Uh, he finished 12 in MVP in 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 96, which is arguably never uh, struck out a hundred times. Too never struck out a hundred times. Multiple Gold Gloves. A total of Three, uh, 12 All-Star Games and MVP World Series winner, nine-time Silver Slugger, was the best shortstop in his time, in his position, in his league. Um, probably could have been said he was the best shortstop in all of baseball, but the fact that he was playing against uh, Cal Ripken Jr. in the time, um, it was hard. And he he had 198 home runs, 295 hitter, uh, again, at the end of his career, it hurt, 2,340 hits, a 70.5 war. And I would have him hitting ninth. Hmm. Better better than Nomar Garcia Parra. Not A-Rod, but definitely better than Nomar. Come, it took Nomar Garcia Parra four years to have Barry Larkin's whole career offensively. So a couple guys, I think, you know, you got to give an honorable mention to uh, Cal Erkin Jr., Ozzie Smith. Troy um, Tula with... Troy, I think Troy, Omar Troy. Stop, Miguel. Stop, stop. Do not say Troy Tula. Stop. Miguel Tejada. This is a serious show. Okay, Miguel Tejada. Okay, good point. Do not no, say Troy and, and hold on, bro, because you're not going to say we can say Miguel Tejada and not say Tulo. Oh, my God. You're not going to do that. <laughs> you're not going to do that. <sighs> I hope kids are not watching this. It's past their bedtime. This is like if the world ended today and somebody found this video, they would be so confused. With the I got a question. I got a question. Is there any shortstop in the league today that could be a part of this conversation, let's just say, in the next decade or so? Uh, Swanson's got to stay consistent. Correa. Correa. Correa's got to stay. He's what about Lindor? Oh, yes, yes. Lindor, uh, he's got to get He's got to stay consistent. But, he, yeah, he, there's a couple guys that are going to – again, the offensive numbers are so – and people, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. Did not vote A-Rod, not because of the steroids, I, because he played just as many years at third base. Not his choice. He went to the Yankees. He was the better athlete, so he could move to third and be just as good as he was at short. So can't knock that on him. Cal moved for Tejada, which is, again, 
not a knock on him. He was doing it for his team. I did not pick Hornets Wagner, which is probably the greatest yeah, of all I, time. Um, I because say, he, I judge, I judge you, not judge you personally. I judge your numbers if you play pre Jackie Robinson. Pre integration to me was like, you know, your the league wasn't that great in my opinion. Like in like looking at it, like there was no mix. So what about what about Hornsby? Same thing. I'm, I'm yeah. judging them against that again. When you look at the way that they hit, the way you know, it's like I, I got a bat that looks the size of my log. It's not modern day baseball, <laughs> so I have them like on their own. Again, they look like great players, but I'm facing a guy that just threw 100, 245 pitches. What about Alan? What about Alan? guy be throwing? What? What about Alan Trammell? He deserves some love too. He's up. He lives up. It's just so hard though. Like when you do shortstop, because it's a combination of, of. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, the greatest shortstop I ever saw playing, like that I was like, OMG, is A-Rod. And I'm talking about pre, like pre-anything A-Rod, like pre-Texas. I'm talking like A-Rod, Seattle, um, that team, like his first rookie year, he was like the dude. Like he was like. Who, who would you rather have, A-Rod in Seattle or Acuna in Atlanta? A-Rod in Seattle. Ooh. I mean, yeah, I agree. I, I think. Damn, I didn't want to. Acuna, Acuna is a forty seventy guy, but he did it with with rule changes. I've got a couple hashtags for our shirts: productive outs and bat size of my log. <clears throat> it's gotta yeah. be up. It's gotta be up. It's gotta be up. <laughs> oh, here's the thing, though. Like horns being those guys, like you know, how, like you face a guy that just threw five days in a row. Again, I'm not knocking it. Those are the original founders of the game of baseball. They're great players. When you look at their numbers, you're like, these guys are amazing. But again, they're they're like in a group of their own. Like they're like in their own little. I think Honus. If I played in the league with Honus Wagner, he'll probably bat like 120 against me. Again, do you think Honus like like if you put him against Gibson? Like when you look at Gibson's numbers, like when he came to the league, he's like a he's like a, a, a number three right now. Meaning from a velocity standpoint. Hey, no one said Jeter. Well, because he's not, not, not even as honorable mention. Come on, he's not. No, he's not even better than no, Nomar. You picked Nomar. I don't want to hear it from you. Yeah, yeah, you picked Nomar. No, Derek's definitely better than Nomar. I think Derek Jeter gets knocked Ow. because he's a Yankee great, but he is the he Ow. has the most hits of all time from a shortstop, I believe. Um, there's two guys that haven't been mentioned: Ernie Banks, because people probably think but Ernie's numbers are ridiculous. He's up there the hits of all time. You already uh, mentioned Dansby. Now you're going to Ernie. No. <laughs> well, you just said players that play today that could potentially end up being in the list of the greats. Dansby ain't a part of that list. But he could be. How? He just keeps doing what he's doing now for 10 years, 14 years. Two, 250 with a 723 OPS? If he does it for 15 years in a row, come on. he might not because money's too crazy. But I think Derek Jeter's up there. I didn't want to go Derek Jeter because it was in a, I can't say Derek Jeter. Manly Ramirez was a better shortstop than Dansby Swanson. I'm not saying he wasn't for for again. If you're if you're discussing two three years at the most, like their best in their prime, you're like, yeah, there's a lot of guys that were better. Like you know, Nomar's numbers are ridiculous. But if you look at the whole makeup, I, I'm gonna say again, when you look at it, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb here. Let me look at this. I might have to take this back, guys. Hold on, take what back? I'm gonna have to take back my pick because of something I'm looking at here right now. Oh no! Hold mm -hmm. on, hold on. I'm looking <laughs> yeah. at positions. How many times? Oh no, I got. Oh, this is wrong. Okay, guys, I got to take this back. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Barry. Oh no, he's not. Oh god. I'm. You know why I'm going with Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter's career WAR is just as high as Barry Larkin's. He's got more home runs. He's got more hits, obviously. He's in the 3,000 club, and he's got a higher average. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think what people don't, re- they oh, don't really He never at- won an MVP, but he never won an MVP, for example. No, so but it. Derek Jeter was never never the best offensive player on his team. What the no. Derek Jeter's superpower was, number one, he was always in position. But he was a World position. Series MVP, though. That That's crazy. That's crazy. He, but, I mean, you could say the same about Juan Soto. And Correct. Well, five-time Silver Slugger, yeah. four-time All-Star. I think people don't here. really uh, understand. Yeah, how I'm going to go with Derek Jeter. F it. I'm extra base Jeter. hits that Derek Jeter piled up on people. Yeah, I'm going to go with so Derek Jeter. What's your, what's your lineup again so far with Jeter? I'm going with Jeter hitting ninth. But actually, I mean, if I hit him first, because he's a, one of the greatest leadoff guys of all time. But now I'm going to hit him ninth. He doesn't have that much speed. He doesn't have to have speed. That's how great of a hitter he was. No, I'm going to hit him ninth. I'm going to hit him ninth. It doesn't change. We're going to go with J- Barry Larkin was good, but he's not Derek Jeter. Derek I, would Jeter never have, I would never have thought about hitting no more. I thought you play. had, I thought you had uh Pudge ninth. I thought I had Pudge eighth. Okay. Then we'll hit Jeter eighth. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So now you're so far me. this lineup right now, Gonzo, your team, I'm worried about, we, we might have to struggle when we play you. Justin's team, we're winning. Like that, <laughs> we might go to a game seven down the line in a battle. Just because y'all got the same team. No, we don't. No. no, we don't. Your team's just that much weirder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got so Hall far. of Famer. The only I only got one totally. non-Hall of Famer on my team. Yeah, Norm Margaret so probably was like yeah. not even not not even he, did he even make it past the first ballot. Is hey, Nomar right. Garcia Parra a better offensive player than Derek Jeter? No. Off what metric are you going off of? Are we, are we going like career wise, or are we going just one? No, we year? can't go career wise because Nomar played first base at the end of his career. No, and but he this, is career. this is career. This is career. career. This shortstop ever. The Come guy on. never played another position with his glove other than shortstop. He either DH or play shortstop. He didn't play second. He didn't go play first base because a team said hey, you suck and you got to go play first. He played every single day shortstop. Yeah. And he's got five gold gloves, and he's got 3,000-plus hits. And he's won five World Series, and it's like he's an MVP of a World Series. In his era, he could have been considered the greatest shortstop of his time, um, unless a was there, and then a moved positions. Give me Alexi Ramirez. Give me – okay, I'm, I can't use no more. Give me Alexi Ramirez. He's that name. <laughs> By the way, you want to talk about numbers? Don't make me look up Alexi's best year versus no more's best year. <laughs> I don't make you, me do it I to hope you. You're, I hope you spill coffee on your computer. I'm just saying, though, don't make me do it to you because, again, when you do crazy things like, oh, let's go off of one year, it's crazy. I'm not going off one year. I'm going off six. So, hey, let's let's rank the lineups again. Justin, go, oh, all right, Justin, do yours, OJ, then me. Okay. Craig Biggio, one. Pudge, two. Nomar, eight. Jeff Bagwell, nine. So I have no belly of the beast yet, but I'm going to use that. I'm using that uh, very strategically. So Biggio one. Pudge two. Pudge two. And then go Nomar eight and Bagwell nine. Okay. 
I gotta start writing these down. What do you have, Gonzo? You got yours written? Okay, good. No, what do you have, Gonzo? <clears throat> so I got A-Rod 2, Pujols 4, um, Pudge yeah. 8th, and Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan 9th. So what I did with my lineup, because uh, Vision's asking about it, with with Biggio and Yvonne Rodriguez, Nomar Garcia Parra, they're they're on the boundaries of my lineup. With those are the mo that's the most contact that's going to be generated. I want to flip the lineup as multiple times as possible. So from three three through seven is just going to be absolute OPS juggernaut. Your slug. team is going to have a hard time getting on the field when they get to the stadium and see that Normar's on this team. You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. I got I got pools at four. I got Morgan at eighth. I got Jeter at wait. I got Morgan at seventh. Jeter in eighth and Pudge in nine in ten and ninth. So you got seven, eight, nine, four. Four, yeah. seven, eight, nine. Yes. Yeah. Your team's gonna be fucked, bro. Why? Because all I gotta do is bring, all I'm gonna do is bring. We got center field. We got left field. We got you know, trust me. We got positions. We got Kenny sure. Lofton's out there. We got Ricky sure. Henderson. Anybody can lead it off. Don't no more was a better player than Kenny Lofton. What are you? We also okay. On that note, please anyone that just heard that, do not repeat that anywhere. Are you crazy saying that Kenny Lofton is not as good as a player as Dormar Garcia Parra? No, what I'm saying is Nomar is a better player than Kenny Lofton. What? Oh, my God. When? When? 1999. If Nomar Garcia Parra plays for the Milwaukee Brewers, do we, we would still be talking? 1999. OJ's going to have a meltdown. I mean, he could have a meltdown. I mean, I'm just bringing the facts. Kenny Lofton <laughs> has 27. But we're not doing, we're not, we're not doing seasons. We're doing careers. Though. 30, 30 plus more war value, almost double the hits. Like, like the, the, the hits is ridiculous. Played more games. Uh, the stolen bases. That I mean, that's right. what it's called. Bottom line, bottom line, we're talking to the fanatic of Boston. Juan, Juan Pierre had a better the fanatic of Boston. I'm a, it, it, according to numbers. Juan Pierre had a better career than Kenny Lofton. And with that, I am moving on. Yeah, by the way. Breaking news. I want pick to click. No, no, no one. No, of course you're going to want <laughs> I started off late and this guy thinks Omar Garcia Parra is great. It's like, well, okay. You you think Kenny Lofton was better than Juan Pierre? I, don't, I didn't say that. <laughs> I got to look at the get into this bullshit again. By the All way, right. uh, what so, are the standings? I just need to know the standings. Yeah, yeah. We're going to update the chat. Um, so I had eight. Junior, Slav were tied at seven. Oh. And Jay was at sixth. Oh, so Jay's is last. Jay was last. Yeah. Hopefully he rebounds in 2023. Yeah. 
Derek Jeter was closer to Tim Anderson now than he was. <laughs> It was to no more. They have like a segment of like, what's your wildest? No, fuck, no fucking batting titles. Wait, wait, what's up? What's your no thirty game? home run seasons? Okay. Um. So the most impressive thing about pick the click was that I was my last month. I wasn't even in the in the race. Yeah, you. Uh, Slav went dry. Yeah. You got hot, and uh, Jay was keeping pace with you for a good amount of the. Yeah, I think that last month you guys were at three. If I remember, and then I started picking Corey Lee. Yeah, I don't know what that was about, man. I, I, by the way, I would have won, and I would have won the last week because my first pick was between Eloy in there, and I did not count on Eloy getting hurt, and I should have just gone Moncada, like I was thinking I was going to go to, but I didn't. Yep, and here's the updated stats for everybody. I'm gonna pull them up for you. Um, we gotta do something next year for pick to click, make it more uh sp spicy for uh the winner. Oh, yeah, we can put a grid, yeah, we can have fans submit it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're gonna have fun next season, boys. Um, I can't wait for but... the MLB since you guys are talking so much smack about the football season, which I got my first win. I can't wait for the MLB fantasy uh, draft next year. Uh, for gonna get destroyed in yeah. that too. So Everybody, that was the 2023 season. We talked about the postseason, and we did our shortstop, which got really heated at the end. And um, next week, we're going to go to third, or not next week, next show. It's probably going to be the week of the uh, World Series around there. We're going to go to third yeah, base. Third base? Well, we're going to give Jay that much time. He might come out and tell me that, uh, you know, Mark Tian is one of the greatest third basemen of all time, even though I love no. Uh, David Wright was better than Robert uh, Ventura. But I do got to mention, boys, <laughs> we are gonna we are gonna do designated hitter, and that's gonna be right after third base. Okay. And then no, after, question, question, question. After we get through the outfield, we will do a starting five pitching rotation. Okay, I got a question before we head out. Does the DA does he have to DH full time? Because that means I'm only limited to half the league. What no. qualifies a man as DH? Is it just a hitter that I'm plugging into that spot? No. So, like I said earlier, you can pick either a hybrid where he had partial of his career at DH or a natural DH. So, yeah. I'm just stuck with Daniel Vogelbach. Great. But nothing like one season only like you were trying to do with Nomar. I'm not – I said – I gave you six <laughs> – Like Frank Thomas could was, be your DH. Miguel Cabrera could be your DH. Back-to-back -back batting yeah. titles, but now I'm just stuck with a guy, right? Get the – you ain't talking about Derek Jeter or Barry Larkin's batting titles. <laughs> All right, boys, we're going to do some shout-outs. Um, I'm going to let OJ wrap it up with some shout-outs. Oh, my shout-out is uh, my fantasy team. We're uh, one and three now. Um, Who did yeah. you beat? I don't know. Whoever I beat, is, he should be crying at home. <laughs> Hold on. I'll tell you right now. I got to go look at this. I got to – I'm going to – we're going to beat this. Did you so beat? Then we're going to put this Did you beat one? Really, you like the message, but you hate the messenger. Yes, he beat he beat Juan by eighty one points. What Ooh, the hell is Juan doing? I got a player of mine that got fifty two points. Some guy would just went off. I got uh, Juan oh Juan. Jamar Chase. Yeah, he had like three touchdowns. He went off. And Juan didn't even put a running back in there and a bye. Bro, you oh he snapped. OJ, I told you not to start the uh start the, the commander's <laughs> defense, and that's the only defense that gave you zero. <laughs>
Yeah, I thought they were going to do better. That's okay. So who do you play this week, OJ? Yeah. You play, uh, what do you play? You play Nick. Well, everybody, when the Bears win, OJ wins. So, so exactly. far, so far, one and four is. Although, by the way, I hope I'm going to win more games than the Bears. You're, you're not you're not gonna happen. Not gonna that happen. should be a, we, that should be a, a bet. I'll win more games than the Bears. Yeah, let's mm. put a bottle of quarter solids on it. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna I'll, I'll win more games than the Bears. Deal. We just fucking shit like on it. Okay. Not gonna bet against my fucking team. We'll and you call me call my favorite shortstop week. You got me <laughs> fucked up. Playing All right, Justin. Me. Uh, Justin. I want to give a shout out. I, I want to give a shout out to my best friend McLovin. He had his uh. Turned 31 last Saturday. Uh, been knowing the man for 25 years. One of the great guys. Always knows how to bring the family together. I appreciate him. It's a shame because he's a Cubs fan and I'm saying nice stuff about him on my White Sox podcast. So uh, anyway, got to give him a shout out. Got to give a shout out to Asia. She's been in the lab going down to Iowa to uh, help Becca and Red celebrate their wedding. So a lot of good stuff going on in her life. Uh, she works really hard, so I'm really glad she can enjoy her time uh, at some point. And I also have to give a shout out to Justin Fields because there was a lot of questions about your production and how were you going to handle back-to-back brutal losses with Tampa and Kansas City. I understand that you know Denver didn't go your way, but you still show promise, and then you absolutely made. Uh, the commander spite the curb Thursday. Outstanding performance for you. Look forward to you celebrating another victory against Minnesota. Okay. Um, I'm going to actually say something real quick. Um, actually, the Hawks just won, so that's huge. Four to two, uh, the young gun. Uh, no, so we actually have something, which this is really important. I totally forgot. So we actually have a couple of memorabilia items on the OG13.org foundation page um and there's actually a really cool opportunity for uh multiple individuals if your team wins the bid or whoever bids for it to have lunch here out in lamont at a place called mama d's which is like a really cool uh lunch spot that we go to with ozzy again bring your friends but we have a couple items there on og uh, og13.org um raising money for uh, a couple different things there on the foundation Something to do with education, some things to do with the uh, feeding, uh, not right now, getting people into shelters, it's just getting a little colder. So we got the foundation uh, starting up. And then for those who are bilingual, we should be starting up, hopefully in the next couple of weeks when we're in Venezuela, our first episode of being Guillen with Ozzy back on talking some smack. So we'll bring up the no more, the no more comment. Just we might, we might start this season with that one. Is there a, de- a deadline on that? There, uh, so the deadline for the foundation for this go around. So there's a bat, hat, and then this lunch. We're, we're going to keep doing it the whole off season, but for this one is October 31st. The bid um, closes on October 31st. Okay. Yeah, hopefully, uh, if you do talk about no more on your first show, maybe Dad will teach you all right, my shout outs. Um, I'm gonna shout out my one and only Soraya. She's coming home soon from school. She still hasn't received the test score yet from uh, the last show that we did that she was nervous on. Um, update on that in the next show. Um, let's see what else I got. 
I'm gonna shout out Dre in the chat. Nice seeing you again. Also, Mike Martin. Um, who else was in there? Cobra was in there. Thanks everybody for listening. I'm getting over. Oh, Rafa too. Sorry, Rafa and Gabe. Rafa. Rafa. Gabe came. Gabe came really early. That's Pause. Um, I'm getting over the cold flu. It hit me hard the last three days. Um, voice kind of raspy, but we're getting through it. Um, yeah, and I'm also going to mention to the three viewers right now that we are going to have a live show. Um, and we'll be saying more promotional stuff with that coming up in, on November 5th on the west side at Little Joe's. Um, date and time to come. We will post it so we get some of you guys out there to watch us. And uh, maybe we'll have an appearance from some other special guests. We'll wait and see on that. Um, but other than that, I'm also going to give what Ozzy was kind of alluding to was give a shout out to the rookie, Connor Bedard, with his first win with the Blackhawks, game one of the season. He had one assist in the game. So he got the pressure off his back in that first game of his career. Going again, going up against his uh, his mentor and um, Sidney Crosby. Um, Hawks play tomorrow. We'll see how Game Two goes. Game Two is going to be tomorrow night in Boston on TNT, oh. and that starts at six thirty. Um, final shot. I completely forgot. Larry Garcia, happy anniversary for hitting the greatest home run in White Sox history in the last <laughs> ten years in the blackout game. You are. We will never forget you, Larry. And that wraps it up for us, everybody. Again, we talked about wrapping up this 2023 season. We talked about the MLB postseason, gave our predictions, gave up our shortstops of the all time. Next show, we are going to give an external look of these White Sox, what to do this offseason, and free agent signings, trades, we're going to get into it. Then we're going to get into our third baseman of all time. Tune in, and that will be coming out soon. But thank you for watching episode 29. This is the Blackout Show presented by the Gian Grid. Thank you for watching. <laughs>